0: Welcome to the Finance for Climate Resilience podcast series brought to you by the Climate and Development Knowledge Network, or CDKN. If you're curious about the policies, information, and solutions around climate change, you're in the right place. Listen in as we discuss and debate, looking at real-life examples of practical changes that can be made for significant and lasting economic and environmental impact around the globe. I'm Kamlesh Pillay, the climate finance lead at CDKN at South-South-North, and I have the privilege of hosting this podcast. Today is our first episode, and we're starting off with what we feel is a very important issue in the area of climate finance. In this podcast, we'll be looking at the importance of microfinancing and its role in providing solutions in climate change in underdeveloped countries. There are many interesting benefits to this, including its role in gender equality upliftment. We start off today's podcast by hearing from Sam Bickerstedt, the CEO of Opportunity International, a leading enterprise in microfinance to whom we've posed the question, what is the role of microfinance in the context of climate change? And this is what he had to say.
1: Climate finance is, of course, a means of catalyzing change to a more resilient and low emissions global economy. The 83 trillion global economy, which we live in, And publicly funded climate finance is there is critical to enable particularly the poor, disadvantaged and vulnerable people to uh, engage in this transition, this important transition to being more resilient to climate change. And if we focus only on the larger flows of finance, the the central banks, the major commercial banks, the the corporates uh, and, and the development finance institutions, we may be missing the place where the poor and the vulnerable are. The informal markets, the smallholder farmers, the traders, and these are the places where most people work in developing countries. The informal sector is the economy of so much of the developing world. Those working and living in, in this economy often need very small amounts of finance, small amounts of capital, working capital, to, to, to manage their businesses or grow their businesses. And they need secure places to, for their savings to enable them to manage Um, difficult uh, periods. This is what the microfinance uh, industry has been serving. The 600 million people uh, in developing countries now, over the last 50 years, it's developed um, an effective way of reaching these people and and enabling their their businesses to grow. And and microfinance banks have given less attention, perhaps, to to climate change. Uh, And that's what we want to explore in this discussion in the interface of the two. So are microfinance banks exposed? Are their clients exposed to climate change? And what could they do to adapt to that, to make it more resilient, uh, to enable smallholder farmers and others to recover rapidly to, from climate-related disasters, for example? Climate finance can help build their resilience. Microfinance institutions have been helping in the midst of, of the global pandemic of COVID-19, helping people adjust uh, and get through the challenges of the economic collapse that, that's ensued. So climate finance uh, can help build the resilience of these institutions, and that's what we want to explore, how savings and loans delivered through these institutions um, can adapt to the context of the finance that's there to serve uh, the, the, the adjustment to, to, in response to climate change.
0: Joining me around the table is Tine Mawocha, the Chief Executive Officer of Opportunity Bank Uganda, Lydia Auha, the Senior Program Manager at Opportunity International based in London, and Puneet Chopra, a partner at Microsave Consulting based in India. Welcome to all of you and, and thank you for joining me. Um, we asked each of you here because you are the experts in the microfinancing space with a different angle on your expertise. Could you tell us a little bit about your work and how it relates to the microfinancing space? Let's start with Tine.
2: Sure. My work is in uh, providing financial services to, we're aiming for the poor people in Uganda and these are people that may not have access financial services before. So we train them in financial literacy and then provide financial services.
0: Great. Thank you. And now we will hear from Puneet.
3: You know, we at Microsave uh, Consulting have been uh, in the development consulting space for over 20 years. And uh, we've been working and supporting uh, microfinance institutions. Um, uh, regulators, policymakers to help them evolve, uh, you know, policies as well as uh, implementation of uh, microfinance products and services uh, uh, across the world, you know, pretty much uh, uh, a majority of the developing countries. And, uh, you know, uh, we have also been helping um, in the evolution of microfinance from sort of uh, uh, where it was uh, two decades back to now, where uh, there is a lot more uh, digitization, um, evolution of uh, fintechs and other you know, technologies and innovations.
4: Thank you, Puneet. And, and lastly, Lydia. At the moment, I'm working with Opportunity International in the UK office. Opportunity International way to promote financial inclusion. We try to support people with access to loans, Savings, micro insurance, and with the hope that we can, they can provide a more dignified way of supporting their families, transforming their communities and the household as a whole. Uh, so that's what Opportunity International does. But in the UK office, uh, we do work with implementing partners in a lot of developing countries. Our focus is more in Africa. So I work with my colleague uh, Tene, who is in Uganda, who is one of our implementing partners. But at the moment, I'm managing a project that is funded by the UK government to support rural women in Ghana and in the DLC to be able to improve upon their productivity and income.
0: Great. Thank you, Lydia, for that. Um, I think before we we go into some of the details and, and the specific linkage between microfinance and climate change, Unpacking exactly what microfinancing is, and some of the different types of products that fall into this financial category, Tina, maybe you can you can kick us off with just that breakdown of exactly what microfinancing is.
2: Sure, uh, microfinance is a provision of uh, financial services uh, mainly to uh, people at the base of the pyramid. It's about uh, savings. It's about micro insurance, insurance products. It's also about training in financial literacy so they're able to understand how to use the different financial services. We also provide digital access um, to financial services because of the remote locations. So all these, including training on general well-being, which would cover issues such as uh, climate change, um, impact on the environment, That's all part of uh, microfinance. We define it as provision of financial services plus other ancillary services.
0: Tina, just to tag on to to one of the issues that you mentioned about the base of the pyramid. I think that is also an important area to unpack just what that means. Um, Maybe, Lydia, you can talk specifically about the users and just who would be taking up microinsurance products or Microinsurance suite products.
4: When we talk about the bottom of the pyramid, we are talking about people who are living below the. I'll probably use the national. I know we tend to use $2 a day, but I will say use your national poverty line. So people who are actually living either below or just above the national poverty line. So it, it could be. So these are the people that we are classifying as people uh, below the uh, the base of the pyramid, and basically these people usually do have opportunities. They do have skills. But what they most often lack is access to financial services to turn this opportunity into profit so they can support their families and their community as a whole. And that's where microfinance comes in. Uh, we tend to say that uh, microfinance focuses on people who are either underserved or who do not even have access to financial services at all. So in some countries, you have people who can go to bank. And if you're going to bank to borrow money, you may need some sort of a collateral, maybe a landed property. You have to use your asset to go and use as a collateral. But most of these people we are working with will not have access to this facility. So the beauty of microfinance is that uh, as for when you take a typical microfinance loan, it's a small loan And most of these people tend to be women. They say women have the the face of poverty. And these people do not actually have the asset or the collateral. So what they do is that they come together and they use their social capital. What do I mean by their social capital? What they do is that we know that we are all in this together. So if you fail to pay the loan, I will help you to repay the loan. So they don't need any form of asset. It's just that they pray to each other that we will support each other. It's like the Ubuntu in South Africa. We will support each other to do well. So if your business is doing well, it means that you can pay the loan and I can pay the loan and we can all benefit equally from it. And we also work with a lot with smallholder farmers. And I think for smallholder farmers, for me, it's very critical, especially when it comes to the issue of climate change, because their whole livelihood depends on the climate. So If we are able to help them to maximize the resources that they have in terms of giving them improved seeds, helping them to, uh, as Tene was trying to mention, give them training in in terms of how they can really do their farming better and maximize the later resources that they have, then that will have a big implication also on the climate as well. So that is one aspect. And of course, in all these things, what is most important, especially for the poor people, is always it's not always about loan, but access to saving is very important for them to be able to build that financial resilience. I, I think... Um,
0: just before we go into the specific linkage between climate um, and, and micro insurance beyond the, the different types of product line, I'd just like to bring Puneet into to the conversation and maybe ask the question of, you know, so what? I, I think, uh, you know, we have micro insurance and we're trying to promote financial inclusion to the poorest of the poor. And my question would be, you know, why should... Typically, poorer people require access to microfinance. What do you see as some of the kind of benefits that microfinance can deliver to these poorer communities uh, in terms of financial inclusion and maybe some of the other benefits that you've seen? You
3: know, financial services are really the backbone for, uh, for, for any individual or family, uh, the way You know, we use a mix of different financial services. You know, it's it's similar need for the low-income segments. And in fact, their needs are even more acute because they do not have steady incomes. Uh, They have a lot of uh, risks that they have to, that they encounter in their lives and they have to manage. As Lydia was mentioning, segments like smallholder farmers or those who are in uh, informal employment, They do not have a certainty of of, uh, income. Many of them who are on the extreme poverty side or maybe ultra poor don't even know where the next dollar is going to come from or how they're going to earn their next meal. So education and higher order services may be a luxury for them. So it's really a mix of financial services and that's where uh, very rightly as Tene was saying that uh, credit, savings, insurance payments all of these together and and perhaps additional uh, services even in in some of the markets investments you know small ticket size investments so that the money can grow these are all very le- uh, relevant for the low income segments for uh, again uh, you know using using them in a variety of ways uh, to manage their financial lives uh, whether it is s- uh, smoothing of incomes or uh, investment in a in a business or maybe you know investing in an income-generating activity for women, it is actually a very important source of empowering them in terms of helping them stand on their feet, become independent, and then be able to take it.
0: Puneet, you and Lydia make very key points in terms of of the importance of, of finance generally to manage household risks. And I think beyond the climate change argument, Financial inclusion is always going to provide upliftment at the community level, and I think that 's what you know most uh, countries are aspiring to of course, theoretically, you know we understand that climate ad- climate change and climate adaptation specifically is going to be needed at the household level, uh, particularly in Africa, noting that we have um, significant uh, deficiencies in terms of our adaptive capacity um, and and also, the the kind of climate hazards that are going to be um, our continent is going to be facing. So it makes the need for these types of, of financial instruments quite key. On that note, Tina, I, what I would ask is, how has microfinance been used in a climate change context? And I think what I'm looking for is just beyond uh, the loans. You know, what other kinds of microfinance products have been used specifically to manage climate change risk?
2: In our context, we've found that, especially to take care of the risks of uh, climate change, we need to work with partners. So even when Puneet was uh, talking about the services, that in some areas they're just getting kind of vanilla products, just savings products, you'll find that if you have partners that are working in the area, They will work in their areas of expertise. We work with partners in provision of water, in provision of irrigation, in solar. We we partner solar companies. We we partner Opportunity International who helps us in training with farmer support agents. So I think it's very important that in provision of microfinance services, we come in with partners and the partners will help us to address some of the issues around climate change. And it also helps us when we have the right partners.
0: Can I ask a follow-up to get an understanding of how microfinancing product lines have specifically been used in conjunction with communities? I think this will help us get a better understanding of the financial structure within the community.
2: In uh, the areas outside from these plantation areas, we normally encourage our clients to start by saving. And and they create what we call a loan security fund where they kind of co guaranteeing each other in terms of their loans. But when we went into this particular community, they wanted to make sure that the funds that they are getting for preserving that community and doing all the good practices would go to good use. So they dedicated these funds to become their loan security fund. So it becomes like um, uh, seed capital. So that came in uh, and was uh, saved with us. And then we were able to leverage six times that amount of money to do individual loans to the members of the community. So we do these micro uh, loans, knowing that there's kind of a a guarantee which we're leveraging about six times for the first time. And um, so that's how they benefit. And it's just kind of adapting what we've done in traditional microfinance to suit this particular environment. And we've seen it's working and uh, this uh, forestry company, there are other companies that are actually coming to study what they're doing because it's really been groundbreaking.
0: Puneet, I would like to ask how microfinance has been used in the Asian context for climate change initiatives, specifically with the focus on smallholder farmers, and if there are any insights from your work at Microsafe.
3: Now, as far as the insurance to smallholder farmers is concerned, or protection to smallholder farmers is concerned, there are uh, you know, products such as crop insurance or uh, livestock insurance, and there again, um, we see that uh, there has been a lot of innovation by the insurers uh, who are, have been in, innovating in product development. And we also see a uh, lot of tech, insured techs, you know, I mean, this is sort of building on the fintechs where uh, new generation insurance providers, you know, uh, called insured techs are getting into innovative, low cost and very um, customized products. For uh, agri and climate uh, smart agriculture-related sort of uh, offerings, the insurers or uh, many of these insurtechs have come together with uh, microfinance institutions who are the network and the front and uh, and bundle their offerings and uh, you know uh, offerings through through the uh, microfinance companies. So microfinance institutions uh, help in um, you know lead generation or origination. Some of them may be uh, also helping in. Supporting underwriting sector, while the product offering and the uh, you know coverage is 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 from the insurance companies.
0: Thank you, Puneet. I think we we definitely will see a greater evolution of of microfinance, particularly for climate risks, as the risks become more apparent. And I think um, the same is 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 true for microfinance products which are focused uh, more on women. I think uh, theoretically we understand that that women are going to be significantly more affected under climate change scenarios in the future. And therefore, tailored products are going to become more important in in the future. Um, Lydia, I'd like to to get your insight into how microfinancing has currently been able to to deliver benefits to to women at the community level. And perhaps perhaps just some further insight into what you think needs to be done differently to avoid some of the gender stereotypes that microfinancing can uh, inadvertently enable.
4: In terms of the positive side, for uh, as you might know, uh, women, probably all over the world, I won't say just Africa, because of their reproductive role and the big role that they play in the household, they are the people that makes sure that we have food. Although the men will think they provide the funding for us to provide the food, uh, we are working in partnership. But uh, as they take care of the home, if I should put it that way, it's very, very important that they can also have access to resources because they will be the ones who will be uh, deciding whether they can provide healthy food for the children, they'll be the ones who will be supporting the husbands and the the spouses in the community. So it's really important that we engage with the, the women as well. So in terms of the benefit of microfinance, one of the things that I think microfinance is helping is helping women to become a little bit financially independent. And once they become financially independent, one of the studies that we actually did in Ghana was that when women have access to finance, the first thing that they do is they use it to support the household. They make sure that their children are going to school. They make sure that they are better and nutritious food in the household. And they make sure that the burden of taking care of the home is not just lying in uh, with the men in the household, which We know from our recent study that we've just done that the men really appreciate that aspect of it because, uh, in the past, by the culture, the social culture, it's like that maybe the men uh, have to be the breadwinners or the people who provide for the household. So, almost every product, financial products that we have will be more or less be targeting the men because they will have the the resources, the collateral, as we've talked about, to be able to engage with the banks and the financial institution. But based on what I've just said, it means that we need to really have that kind of balance so that both men and women could, can actually have access to the financial resources because they all have a key role to play in the household. So that's one aspect of the uh, the benefit of microfinance. And another key aspect that is uh, very important, which might not necessarily be the financial side, is uh, the, the social networking. Mo- in most countries, as we know, uh, when it comes to the education of women and girls, again, because of the social cultural uh, norms that we have, we tend to favour the education of say boys and men than the education of women, and that kind of sips down along the line. So it kind of also can tell some of the opportunities that they will have in in future. So one of the things that microfinance helped women to do is to bring them together so they can share ideas, they can establish friendship, they can build their self esteem and self confidence. And once this is established, you can actually see it also in the household because they are now also more involved in decision making that affect their life. They are also involved in the decision making within the community.
0: Thanks, Lydia, and and just to 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 conclude uh, on some of your points, I think um, I, I think what we see with 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 gender and microfinancing is that gender is not an isolated issue, and and often microfinancing is going to assist in enabling a better environment to kind of avoid. Gender-based violence, but it's not going to do it in its entirety. And um, I think it's it's an important point that you make that uh, you know, gender does not only focus on women, and that it is a conversation that needs to include men at the household level if it's going to deliver you know the transformative change that we want to see at household level, and going beyond the kind of status quo of you know just providing women with with more finance, you know, essentially. Um, we're coming to the end of, of our discussion, and, and what I'd like to conclude with is um, a very simple question about what can we do? I think uh, often in the in the microfinancing context, um, given that we are doing some things right and the market is growing in Asia and, and in Africa, um, my question would be, if you had to provide recommendations to policymakers or um, decision makers who are in positions where they can influence the microfinance market, um, what would that be? And noting that there are challenges in, in, in microfinancing, um, but there may be specific policy levers that, would be, um, that could be enabled to deliver microfinancing at, at scale. Um, so, Tina, maybe I'll start with you. And and please feel free to to speak specifically about the, the Ugandan context or, or any other um, um, areas that you feel comfortable with speaking about.
2: I think in terms of policy, where it's uh, possible to introduce guidelines, be it through regulatory institutions and uh, other partners or government uh, arms, it would be good. One of the big areas is around cutting down of trees because that that has an impact on uh, climate change. So uh, if rules can be put in place that uh, for every tree that is cut, another one must be planted. And if there are any financial services that are being provided in those areas, one uh, works on ensuring that there is renewable planting of, uh, of, of trees and uh, taking care of the environment. You also can have exclusion lists that come through organizations. And we're familiar with those, You know, those that are in um, sort of uh, international groups. They normally have uh, exclusion lists that say, if someone comes to you and uh, they are wanting a loan For something that's going to destroy the environment, then it's excluded. You also can make sure that um, you give a benefit to those who use renewable energy. Those that are purchasing solar products, for instance, they may have some benefit that comes uh, there so that there's an incentive for them to use uh, solar as opposed to using firewood. I've also seen in other environments um, where there are companies that are coming in with these alternative cook stoves that are very fuel efficient, uh, that use briquettes, that use very little charcoal, that sort of thing. So promoting that and really driving the use of that. And a general awareness, uh, which uh, governments and other institutions can do, that um, if we don't take care of our environment, then we will be in trouble and we'll compromise, uh, you know, we will impact climate change. So those are things that uh, through microfinance and the partners that work with microfinance institutions, we certainly need to spread the message. We need to create an awareness. We need to, uh, to showcase uh, best practices.
0: Thanks, Tuneet. Puneet, do you have any further insights to add?
3: I think... Um, uh, multilateral institutions and uh, governments uh, can play a very important role to, uh, to enable um, you know, microfinance uh, for uh, uh, mitigating climate risks and in supporting uh, climate change adaptation and mitigation uh, measures uh, as, as a whole. So, for example, there is a Alliance for Financial Inclusion, which has membership of uh, more than 150 countries and the regulators and policymakers are uh, members of the Alliance for Financial Inclusion. They have formed a group called as uh, Initiative for Green Finance, uh, which has uh, endorsement of over seventy five countries uh, with their regulators and and governments. And uh, they are you know guiding and mentoring governments, um, helping in cross learning, sharing of experiencing uh, experiences, sharing of uh, best practices. Around green finance, uh, product development, and so on, and uh, they have come up with a four P framework for uh, policies to be guided in these countries. And uh, these these four P's are, uh, you know, promotion, uh, provision, protection, and prevention uh, uh, related policies. Uh, you know, for uh, specifically to green finance. Uh, apart from that, uh, uh, governments uh, can also provide a lot of support to microfinance institutions directly uh, one of them is in terms of uh, the rules and regulations and policies that guide what microfinance institutions can and cannot do and also other uh, sort of uh, direct and indirect financial support that's provided so in markets like india that uh, the central bank has come up with uh, differentiated banks and uh, these are uh, you know, banks which can focus on specific uh, products or services and uh, they're called as uh, payment banks or small finance banks. So small finance banks uh, are a category of banks that many of the microfinance institutions have, uh, you know, so there is a licensing process and then almost over 12 microfinance institutions have uh, upgraded them into small finance banks. And with that, Actually, they are able to offer a more balanced portfolio of financial services, which many of them could not offer as microfinance institutions. So that's a good example of uh, enabling microfinance institutions to do more combined savings, insurance and other products and offerings in their portfolio.
0: Thank you, Puneet. Um, And and lastly, uh, Lydia, if you have um, any thoughts about about the role of the policymakers in, in enabling the market?
4: I think I agree with all the things that colleagues have mentioned. But one of the things that I wanted to also add is that in all these policies, we have to really look at it with that gendered lens to know who we are leaving behind as far as the policy is concerned. Because as we rightly said in the beginning, when it comes to the issue of climate change, it affects men and women quite differently. So we have to really put on our gendered lens to see who is being included and in or excluded from the policies that we are coming out with. In particular, when it comes to the issue of uh, women, for example, they are the consumers, they are also they can be decision makers, and they make some critical decisions in their household so they can be part of the solution in terms of uh, implementing adaptation measures to help care the issue of uh, climate.
0: What a rich conversation this has been. In wrapping up this episode, we felt it important to include the voice of a recipient of microfinancing support.
4: I'm, I'm Annabella Anchi. I'm 33 years of age. I'm a farmer and also a trader. I'm from Nkinkesu, Ashanti, Virginia, Ghana. I had four kids, a nurse and a husband. They gave me a loan as a working capital. And it has helped me in farming and trading.
0: And there we have it, microfinancing in action. In closing, some things that have stood out for me during this episode is that microfinance offerings are gaining momentum as a mainstream product line. However, more capacity building at the community level, enabled by government policy, can allow for the scaling of this product beyond the current market segment multilateral financial institutions also have a critical role to play in providing enabling incentives while implementing safeguards in the most vulnerable communities. Lastly, balanced microfinance products can deliver climate benefits and impact while being financially feasible and avoiding negative unintended consequences if correctly designed. Ultimately, the protection of livelihoods in combination with climate benefits Allows for microfinance to create a multiplier effect, thereby improving social well being in communities. Thank you for joining us for this episode in Unlocking Climate Action. We hope that you feel empowered and able to create a culture of resilience in your world. Join us again next time as we continue to explore climate and development challenges within and across borders. If you'd like to find out more, please visit cdkn.org. Here you will find an email address for the team in your region. You can also follow us on Twitter at cdknetwork or at SouthSouthNorth. Make sure to check the show notes of this podcast for more info.